I recently had a wonderful interview with author Jill Woolard about her new book entitled Intuitive, Being Connect with Spirit, Find Your Center, and Choose an Intentional Life. If you want to learn more about the powerful intuitive voice within you which guides you and can have the ability to change your life for the good and forever, I recommend that you listen to Podcast 602 with Jill Willard and myself as we explore ways you can have a greater access to your intuition. Welcome back to Inside Personal Growth. This is Greg Voice and the host of Inside Personal Growth. And as I do, Daniel, every time I thank my listeners because uh, for 10 years, faithful listeners who basically, when I look at them, they're listening over and over and over again to these podcasts. I'm so appreciative to everybody out there uh, who's been following me so long, supporting me um, and giving me good feedback on the podcast that I do. So thank you all. And today, joining me from Del Mar, California, is a good friend, and it's Dr. Daniel Friedland, MD. And uh, Daniel has written a new book, and his first book, isn't this your first one, Daniel? Well, this is the third one now. Third one, okay. Well, so I didn't know about the other two, but this one is an amazing book. The book is called Leading Well from Within, a Neuroscience and Mindfulness-Based Framework for Conscious Leadership. Uh, it's an awesome book for really almost anybody, I'll be honest with you. Uh, but if you're in business and you're a leader, uh, even more importantly so. So, uh, Daniel, I'm going to tell my listeners just a little bit about you. He helps business and uh, leaders and healthcare organizations transform their leaders and people from stress and burnout into high-performing innovative, engaged leaders and teams so that they can take their organizations to the next level in a globally competitive environment. Uh, his programs on leading well from within, conscious leadership, peak performance, and cultivating resilience in healthcare are evidence-based with a solid foundation in neuroscience and mindfulness practice and are presented with a warm and engaging human touch. And I can say because I've seen Daniel present and I know him well that uh, really you're in for a really great interview here and an opportunity to listen to somebody who has some great things to say about stress in our workplace and how to become a better leader as a result of managing that. So, Daniel, you know, you start this book off in the introduction. You speak about um, your disagreement with a member of the Academy of Integrative Medicine, which uh, is a prestigious board of which you sit on the board. And you utilize this setting to kind of set the mood for the reader to stel tell a story that points to a tale of two mindsets, which you call the reactive and the creative mindset. Can you tell the story again and the lessons that you particularly learned as a result of uh, what happened? Um, with you uh, as you confronted this individual on the board. With, with pleasure, Greg. And Greg, I just want to thank you uh, for the work that you do in, in sharing and uh, inspiring others in, in transforming their lives. And I uh, just want to say hello to all the listeners as well. Um, yeah, so you know, when I started the book, it was really a humbling experience. And just the context for this, I, um, my mm -hmm. background, one of the first books that I wrote before this, was on evidence-based medicine, uh, which is the way that all doctors now are trained to make science-based decisions. And, um, and so my real passion um, 
even though this was the first book, was is around the science of leadership. And part of that was when I went through my medical training, I fell apart and and really um, uh, founded the Medical Student Network at UCSF and did leadership training to really cultivate um, um, resilient and compassionate leaders. Um, and so I came around after you know uh, writing the EBM book, I came around to write this book on the science of leadership using my evidence-based um, skill set to do so. But, but rather than just write the book, I also want to invest myself in understanding what it means to be a leader. And so I had this opportunity to become the founding chair of the Academy of Integrative Health and Medicine, which is um, uh, an umbrella organization for integrative healthcare organizations. And it's just a tremendous organization. And I will, should say that I finished my, uh, my third uh, and third year and final term um, last week, and so I've transitioned out of the leadership role, but I spent three years um, in this role, and so for me, leadership isn't theoretical. It's, it's a lived experience, and so the story that I tell was an ex- a story um, around um, a collaboration we were forming um, very near the beginning of my term as I was becoming a leader, and, I, and in many ways, I was somewhat... Um, uh, overwhelmed when I became the leader because it's a very prestigious organization and sitting on the board are leaders of other organizations. And so, you know, I share about, you know, I, you know, I write a lot in the book about navigating stress and self-doubt, but I, and I really shared that I had my own self-doubt and feeling somewhat like an imposter amidst this group, this august group of individuals. And so it set the backdrop for this meeting that um, um, I arrived at one, one Sunday morning. But the backdrop to this meeting was that I had just had an interaction with my uh, with my son Zach, and and he's my older son. And actually, we had written that's my second book I wrote. I wrote a book with him on how to make better life decisions, and so we have a very warm, caring relationship. But that week, he had been cold. You know, he'd be somewhat distant, and in the end, I found out he was just really tired and and removed. And I was starting to feel self doubt also about my parenting. Had I reached the time with my teenage son? where, you know, I was no longer influential as a leader in his life. Um, and so I was, I was filled with self-doubt of that interaction just before I went to this meeting where I was now, you know, feeling my own self-doubt as a leader. And then I went to this meeting, and um, uh, the leader of this other organization was presenting. Um, we had, we'd been working months on this collaboration and was presenting a vision that was very different from what my um, – uh, task force had um, shared with me, and so I was really wasn't on the same page. And I came to a point in the meeting, and I really put a halt to it. I said, I, I said, you know, this, you know, I have to stop what you're saying right now because this wasn't, this isn't my understanding. But the point was, was I didn't just um, ask, you know, uh, for clarification. It was my tone and my demeanor where I became very reactive in the meeting. And I'd been kindled by my experience with my son, Zach, and my own self-doubt. And I landed up in a state of reactivity that really triggered his edge. And he was, you know, he responded, well, what is it that you don't understand? And all of a sudden, we got into this place where we were these dueling egos, if you will, kind of pitted against each other with a board of 20, a collective board of both our organizations sitting over there, washed us, locked in a duel. And it, and it escalated, the intensity escalated in the meeting that... Somebody even said at the top of the table, somebody please make the stop. It just became intensely uncomfortable. 
And a lot of this was driven by my reactivity. And at, some, at, point, at a point, somebody said, you know, we need to make the stop. Um, we took a break. And I just felt nauseated. I felt like, yeah, you know, here it is that I teach on leadership. And I was in the midst, the grip of just being highly reactive in my mind. And so every fiber of my being wanted to fight or take flight. You know, I actually wanted to actually probably want to get out there. And there was another part of me in my mind that was, you know, I just really kind of realized I could step back from a place of mindfulness and see what was going on and find some modicum of compassion and then some strength to kind of, and then get back into, rather than saving face, really feeding into what could best serve. And so I landed up, um, they took a break and instead of kind of, Running away with, you know, I I saw this this leader with a group um, um, of my task force members. They were going to go on to the patio, and instead of actually taking flight from that, I actually said, "Look, I'd like to kind of sit down and talk to you, you know, during the break." And we had a heart to heart during the break, and um, and and the leader of the other organization said, "Well, look, would you address the team and just um, clear the air?" And so, how did that? How did that, Daniel? Really. You know, I mean, I know it was a reactive mindset, but you you speak about in the book this creative mindset and this yep. reactive mindset. I think what's important is you found yourself, you recognized that you were being reactive, you recognized the stress level was it extremely high because it went right to a gut level, nauseated. Um, what advice would you give our listeners who find themselves in that level of confrontation to yeah. actually to shift? Um, their being and be more mindful so that they either don't create those situations for but if they do create them how do they get out of them yeah so so first of all you know thank you for that question because that's you know that really is the core part of this so the first thing what I do in the book is I map the reactive and the creative mindset to specific regions of the brain that we all have and so the first thing that I hope you know the listener you know you as the listener um, feel is that we all have reactivity. And I still, even after writing this book, I have reactivity too because I have the survival parts of my brain. And this is just a part of the brain that's looking to protect me. So this is not, you know, when you, appreciate, when you notice your reactivity, the way to meet it is, is, if anything, rather than a sense of pushing it away or intense self-judgment or self-criticism, mm-hmm. it's to appreciate that this is just a part of your brain that's a survival part of your brain that's doing its best to protect you and sometimes it can do more harm than good. So mm-hmm. you're meeting it with compassion. And then from a place of mindfulness, to step back and to really appraise, you know, what's going on? Is this indeed a life-threatening situation? Now, for me, it was life-threatening because I felt like my reputation and my, um, you know, as a leader and standing as a leader was, was, was threatened. But in truth, my life wasn't threatened. It was my ego that was threatened. Mm-hmm. And so I could step back and I could look at, you know, ask the big question in that moment, what's really important here? What ultimately is really important here? And when you move from a problem frame where you're threatened and you're thrashing around trying to protect yourself to a solutions frame where you're looking at how can I be in best service of something larger than myself, you actually shift the um, activity in your brain from your survival circuits to your higher cortical circuits and a part of the brain right in front, which is called the prefrontal cortex, mm-hmm. which moves you into a creative frame and brings an entirely different energetic to your being. It in- engages circuits of innovation and creativity as well as more fully engages 
relational circuit that enables you to connect more fully with others, to empathize, and to have compassion. And as I was able to catch myself in this moment, I was able to, first of all, notice that I was being reactive, find a modicum of compassion for myself, tap into some inner strength, and to pivot to say, okay, what would best serve? And offer myself in humility to the group in service of what I felt would be a more productive outcome. And I was able to pivot in that meeting and find my way into my creative mindset and completely turn, you know, help completely turn the meeting around. And if anything, at the end of this, we actually felt even stronger for what happened because we knew we could come through hard times together. Well, and I think that's an important point. In other words, look, this was a group of leaders in a very prestigious organization. And you talk about this engaged conscious leadership in the book. And I think the characteristics of someone who has uh, competencies in this level and is conscious leader, talk to the listening audience, if you would, about how you help people develop those particular competencies. I mean, when we look at it, we look at, you know, okay, our brain is functioning this way, but it's really a whole mind, body, spirit um, uh, transformation that has to occur to a leader to get to this level to really understand that. Yeah. And and this term conscious leader that we're using, and this, this may be a new term, you know, to you as the listener as well. So let me just show you kind of where I was inspired with this term as well, and then talk about the, the, the characteristics. So I first came across this term in 2012 when I was invited to give a talk for a remarkable organization called Conscious Capitalism. And, and mm-hmm. Conscious Capitalism is founded by companies and you know, engaged by companies like Starbucks, Whole Foods, Trader Joe's, Best Buy, Patagonia, Southwest Airlines, just to name a few. And you, know, you can feel that these companies have vibrant and alive cultures. And oftentimes, these vibrant alive cultures are due to the conscious lead in the culture. And so this, the philosophy of conscious capitalism is that you know, it runs off four principles. And the first principle is higher purpose drives. Second principle is making sure that all stakeholders in the ecosystem are well represented. And then it's about conscious leadership that drives conscious culture in a thriving environment. And so I really, I was blessed to speak to the CEOs of many of these companies at their, at their summit, um, you know, and share the approach that I was already teaching on leadership, but now framed within this framework for conscious leadership. So I have a four-step framework that really helps you shift um, between the um, um, reactive mindset and your creative mindset. And so, so you, you refer to that in the book as the four-by-four four framework, um, yeah, four, correct? Yeah, that's, Exactly, and, it's the four-in-four four framework, and it's, and it's four steps, and it's four-in-four four because it's, each step has four components to it. Well, if we would, maybe we should go there because you, you apply these four-by-four four framework to help us in the healing of, of not only the organization but ourselves and our relationships in these conflicts. So let's talk exactly. about the four-by-four four framework because right. it is all-encompassing in, in the book. Yeah, it is. And, and, and as you say, it, it frames it at different levels. It frames it for this intrapersonal mastery so you can actually learn within yourself to shift between your reactive and creative mindset. Mm-hmm. And then later in the book, you understand, well, it's not just within ourselves, but our relationships 
we get into these cycles of reactivity and these cycles of creativity with others. And this ripples into culture as well. And so if you recognize that within our own brain, we have our survival circuits and we have our higher cortical circuits. And so we can naturally oscillate between these states of reactivity and these states of creativity. We have this all within our own brain. And again, it's not a weakness. And states of reactivity can be very adaptive to helping you protect you from harm. Um, <clears throat> but sometimes, again, they can do more harm than good. So I look at, well, how do you proactively shift between these two states? So the first thing is I provide another foundation of mindfulness. And each of these steps has a skill and a mindfulness practice that helps make the skill even stronger. So let me share with you these, just very briefly, these, these four steps. Would that be helpful, Greg? Yes, I think for our listeners as well. So they get an idea okay. of what you have actually laid out in the book to help people transform um, and to help them deal better in relationships and leadership and in their own personal lives. Because Beautiful, this book, yeah. is, uh, just for my listeners, I think they need to know the book is, is a cross-platform, right? When you improve yourself, you improve yourself as a leader, even at home, as a father, uh, as a husband, uh, as somebody who works in the community versus, you know, the same thing at work. So all of this is interrelated, and I think you do a really good job of giving us a tool in this book that can help us, um, which one of the foundations is mindfulness, and I think that's important. Yes, indeed. And so, you know, the the tag, leading well from within, the idea of it here is if you can lead well from within, then you can lead well in the world. And it begins Mm -hmm. with with leading well from within. And so this four-step framework are already the skills and practices, these four steps to help you make the shift to lead well from within. And so the first step is um, you cannot effectively navigate your reactivity, which is inherently subconscious in the subconscious survival circuits, unless you can recognize it first. So the first step is to learn how to recognize um, your reactivity, to recognize your reactive sensations, thoughts, feelings, and behaviors. And so this is compassionate work to do an audit around this. And again, sometimes reactivity is very helpful and adaptive. So the next question is, in step one, is, okay, I've noticed my reactive um, responses. In this moment, are they doing more harm than good? Doing me and others more harm than good? And if so, then I give you four steps to manage your reactivity, literally like it's like popping a balloon. So just in the moment, you can take the edge of your reactive anger, frustration, uh, you know, your, um, the tensions you feel, and just get an immediate sense of greater perspective and control in that heat of the moment. So share those, share those four steps with our listeners. <laughs> yeah, so those four steps, and I'm just concerned that I may be going too deep on this, but, but the four steps briefly is it's teaching you how to first and foremost pause. And the reason why we want to pause is because you're on fast track response fibers, your survival circuits of very, very quick processing speed circuits. So by pausing, you allow your higher cortical circuits to come back online and regain a, bit, a broader sense of perspective. The second component of step one is to then just engage your parasympathetic nervous system where you can hack your physiology and just calm and just tap the brake on that sympathetic drive that's just amping you up. So I teach you how to do some soft belly breathing, take three to six soft belly breaths. And then the third component is there's a a technique called you name it to tame it. And it's been shown in research that if you name your emotions, with a, you know, just from a place of mindfulness saying, okay, I'm angry right now, I'm feeling disappointed, but you just begin to name it, 
you're activating your higher cortical circuits and you're um, shutting down your amygdala response. And then the fourth component is um, to consider your best response. And sometimes your best response is a graceful exit and come back and talk about it when you're feeling more calm. Um, but sometimes if, if something's got their, really, their deep hooks in you where you're laying awake at night, the best response is actually go then to step two, which is to work on looking at what are the underlying drivers? What is the underlying stress and self-doubt that's driving these reactive responses to begin with? And so step two of this four-step framework is to reappraise your stress and self-doubt. And mm-hmm. so this taps into, this taps into um, cognitive behavioral therapy, and I've adapted from something called specifically rational emotive behavioral therapy where I provide you four questions that can help you extract the teeth out of stress and self-doubt from the roots. And then I'll also share with you this new science around stress where you can also find a way to reframe your relationship with stress and self-doubt so that these are no longer issues, stress and self-doubt no longer depletes you, but you could learn how to leverage them actually as assets, as mm-hmm. energy in service of what really matters in your life. And how do, you, how do you recommend that? I say in this four steps of reappraising the stress mindset, what are, how, do, how would one of us out here, one of these listeners actually do that? Yeah, so, so there have been some studies around this. So the, the, the first thing is, is that many of us get stressed about being stressed. Um, and, um, and that's because, of, first of all, healthcare providers have t- told us, including myself, how dangerous stress is. But the new science of stress actually reveals that it's not so much the stress that kills you. Just as importantly, it's your mindset around stress that is harmful. So if you think stress is harmful, it is. If you think stress is helpful, it literally changes your physiology and it actually protects you. And so, mm-hmm. and so some of um, the research that's been shown and one of these stress mindset interventions are, first of all, if you can actually think about and change your definition of stress, Kelly McGonigal has a wonderful definition where she says, stress arises when something you care about is at stake. Right. Now, that's different because most of us feel like stress happens to me when I can't cope with things. So when you get stressed and you have a definition, I can't cope, that's not very empowering. So you get stressed about being stressed. But if you define and you realize, ah, stress happens because something I'm caring about is at stake, then you can really begin to understand that all you're doing is you're mobilizing energy to be in service of what really matters in your life. And so you can begin to leverage this energy rather than actually push the stress away. You can begin to surf it and use it. So I actually have this term where I say surf your sympathetics in service of what really matters. And so part of the intervention, (laughs) the stress mindset intervention around this is to first and foremost, to be able to notice when you're stressed, kind of what we did in step one to recognize it. Right. The second thing is to then embrace it rather than push it away and feel bad about yourself having stress to embrace it, and even at times, thank you, you know, maybe even thank it. You name it, instead of naming it to tame it, you might name it to thank it or name it to savor it, where you say, okay, thanks for this energy, it's go time. And then the third part of this is to use it. Use the energy in service of the outcome that really matters most to you. So wow. a, great, a great experience is when you're stressed out, rather than actually trying to reflexively trying to avoid your stress, Allow yourself to pause 
and ask yourself the question, what is it that really matters to me over here right now? What is my eye on the prize? And to allow yourself to then leverage your energy all in service of the outcome that matters most to you and others around. Well, it's, a great, it's a great way for uh, all of us to look at stress in a different way and to reframe it and actually to use it for our betterment versus, like you said, it's our mindset around stress, uh, not the stress itself. And I just want to reiterate that because I think many people think that it's the stress. And I love Kelly's uh, uh, definition of that. Now, you attended an event with, at Cisco. And there yeah. were a lot of executives there. And you learned what you called VSIR process. Um, I thought it was fascinating. I think, obviously, I've, I've heard this before. There's, uh, there's many books out there around this uh, technology yeah. or what's been actually been being used inside of corporations. But tell us, what is it and how does it help us in our health, our relationships, and our productivity? Great, and Greg, this is a great segue because this really gets into step three of the four-step framework, which brings us to that. So, you know, steps one and two are all about how you actually navigate and leverage stress more mm -hmm. effectively, and you create a sense of internal confidence around this. This now liberates you, your energy, to actually move on focusing, you know, at higher levels of Maslow's hierarchy in terms of your relationship needs and your mattering needs. And so step three of this process is being able to cultivate creativity in your life so you can really focus on what's truly meaningful in your life. And the VSIR process is an organizing framework to help you do so. And so when you begin to reflect on what really matters in your life, you begin to think, and this overlaps with the, you know, with the world of positive psychology, the recipe for your flourishing life you begin to think about, you know, what is my vision? What is my vision for my ideal life? So what, what VSIR stands for, and it's a cycle, VSIR stands for vision, strategy, implementation, and results. And then you close the loop again, going back to vision, strategy, to iterate your cycle. So the way it works is um, as you begin to think about, you know, what is my vision for my, you know, for my flourishing life, you begin to think, what does this look like in terms of my health, my relationships, and the meaning and significance in the work that I'm doing? And so you set up your vision. And then actually what you do in the cycle, rather than going clockwise into strategy implementation, I actually, when you first set it up, I actually look left before I go right. I'll go the next two results. And I'll begin to look at what are my smart results in alignment as stepping stone to this vision that I want to create and manifest in my life. And so I think about what results in the areas of my health, my relationships, and my work can I set up that are both specific, measurable, aligned to my vision, realistic and time-framed, that can put me on the path to this vision. And then I'll put my um, strategies in each of these areas and my implementation into effect, and then I'll loop back around and say, okay, did I meet my results or not, and if I didn't meet my results, I'll go around and iterate, considering whether or not my vision was what I wanted my vision to be, whether I was, um, had a, was comprehensive enough on my strategies or I was missing a component, if I was accountable to myself and others on implementation, or whether or not my results were realistic to begin with. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's a really good strategy, I think for uh, leaders to use. It's, it's really good for anybody, but in particular, leaders who are leading in mid-sized organizations, smaller organizations, larger organizations, 
it applies. Daniel, what advice would you like to leave our listeners with about leading well from within? In other words, if you were to leave them with one nugget about the takeaway here today, the time we've spent together, what would you tell them really? Because I know a lot of the things can be very scientific, very, uh, very heady, while a lot of things can be extremely practical. Yeah. Um, what practical yeah. advice would you leave if you, uh, if you were to give people four points that said, hey, this is what I'd like for you to take away from our time today. What would you tell our listeners? Okay, I'll give you something that brings everything together. And actually, this is perfect because it brings us to step four of the framework. Okay. And step four of the framework is how you catalyze your growth around all of these, all of these, these first three steps. And so when you look at what drives most of our behaviors, you know, you can navigate stress, you can focus on what matters, but at the most intimate level, what drives most of our behaviors is this internal voice that we all have that chitter-chatters at us all day long. And when we're under stress, this voice says things like, huh, you know, what if and all the bad things that could happen? Or if only in the regrets of our past? Or what's wrong with me and what's wrong with other people? So the real power in all of this is to be able to inspire and change your internal dialogue to create a more inspired internal dialogue. And so what I discovered um, through the work that I've done in evidence-based medicine was that the same framework you can use, which is begins in evidence-based medicine by asking the right questions, finding the best answers, evaluating those answers, and applying them, is perfect in step four for catalyzing your growth. Mm. So when it comes down to it, when we're going into noticing your internal dialogue and you're noticing yourself saying, what's wrong with me and what's wrong with others, Can you ask a better question? Can you allow your brain to chew on a better question? So instead of what's wrong with me, you know, thinking about questions like, okay, this is a difficult moment. What's it I'm here to learn? How can I better connect with others, with myself, mind, body, and spirit? How can I better connect with my highest source of inspiration? What's my best service? How can I best express myself? You put yourself into a different frame of mind and then... You know, I share in the book techniques for creating stillness so the answers to those questions can find you, how you can evaluate and trust your knowing, and then sharing, you know, how do you actually find the courage to take action to create meaningful change in your life and the lives of others. So really one of the key takeaways over here that I hopefully inspire you is to really begin to think about what are the more inspired questions that you could ask in your life that can lead you to more productive action for yourself and others. Well, all of those questions that we ask ourselves that lead us on a path to, as you say, self-inquiry, to lead from within, there's where you actually make your biggest transformational steps in life. And it's those harder questions. And I think most importantly, it's not only the questions, it's the questions that stretch us, um, that get us to think a little bit deeper about our life, our relationships, and our abilities to lead as uh, husbands and fathers and, and uh, leaders inside of companies. And for my listeners, uh, we've been on today uh, with Dr. Daniel Friedland, MD. Uh, his new book is called Leading Well from Within, a Neuroscience and Mindfulness-Based Framework for Conscious Leadership. And if you want to learn more Uh, about Daniel, his keynotes, his executive coaching, his live workshops and programs, 
you're going to want to go to supersmarthealth.com. That's S-U-P-E-R-S-M-A-R-T, health, H-E-A-L-T-H.com. Uh, you can also just Google Daniel Friedland, F-R-E-I-D-L-A-N-D, and it will pop up as well. And Daniel, I want to thank you for being on Inside Personal Growth today, spending the time you did to articulate the neuroscience of really what's going inside of our brains when stress applies. Uh, you really helped a lot there to tell us what those triggers are and how to manage them, and also how to ask smarter questions um, so that we can manage that to reframe those stressful moments we might have that could lead into something a lot worse um, than what we'd like for it to be. Thanks so much for being on Inside Personal Growth and spending a few minutes uh, with our listeners today. Thank you so much, Greg. It's been a joy to be with you. And, and the book uh, is also available on Amazon. And I've also created um, a Cliff Notes version um, uh, as well to, for, for busy professionals if you want to ingest this all in one sitting. And where would they go to get that? Is that they, at Amazon they can go well? to get that. At, um, it's uh, available on Amazon, both in uh, hard copy and on Kindle. Oh, beautiful. Okay, well, I would say for the, all of you interested, go to his website. Um, you'll learn more there. You'll see videos and YouTube videos and so on and the, some of the uh, presentations that Daniel's done. Uh, we will also put all the links in our blog entry, not only to Amazon, but to Daniel's website uh, and videos. So it's been a great having you on, Daniel, and uh, I appreciate you taking the time. Thank you so much, Greg. It's been a joy to be with you and, and, and you with all your listeners as well. Thank you. Thank you.